Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Kathy Kay, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Thursday, October 22, 2015. Today we are reading for the big book, and we are on page XXIX, um, the second paragraph down the page, Men Have Cried Out to Me. Today's readers are Mary H. on the 12 Steps, Alice M. on the 12 Traditions, and reading our text are Rebecca F., Larry K., and Julie R. OA Preamble. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, The reference number for yesterday, October 21st, 2015, is 8135. And our newcomer greeter today will be Elizabeth S. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Um, Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Mary H. to read the 12 steps. Good morning. This is Mary H. in Connecticut. Step one, we admitted we were powerless over food that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out, and 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters 
and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for letting me do service. Thank you, Mary H. And I will now ask Alice M. to read uh, the 12 traditions. Thank you, Kathy. This is Alice M. from Florida, compulsive overeater and bulimic. The 12 traditions are, one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. I pass. Thank you, Alice M. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on page XXIX, uh, paragraph 2 that begins, Men Have Cried Out to Me. And I will now ask Rebecca F. to begin our study. Good morning, Kathy. Can you hear me okay? I can. Thank you. Okay, thank you. This is Rebecca F., a recovered compulsive overeater. Men have cried out to me in sincere and despairing appeal. Doctor, I cannot go on like this. I have everything to live for. I must 
stuff, but I cannot. You must help me. Faced with this problem, if a doctor is honest with himself, he must sometimes feel his own inadequacy. Although he gives all that is in him, it often is not enough. One feels that something more than human power is needed to produce the essential psychic change. Though the aggregate of recoveries resulting from psychiatric effort is considerable, we physicians must admit we have made little impression upon the problem as a whole. Many types do not respond to the ordinary psychological approach. So I've been thinking about these two paragraphs and how they apply to me as a compulsive overeater or us as compulsive overeaters. And um, the first thing that comes to mind is when the men are crying out that they have everything to live for, I don't think at first that I realized that this problem that I have is a matter of life and death. And so I don't think I really took it seriously until it got bad enough that um, I became willing to do whatever it takes to uh, get recovered. And luckily, I was, or by the grace of God, I was led to these rooms where I learned that this was a matter of life and death. This wasn't just a matter of vanity or um, being able to move about more comfortably. It was that at the rate I was going, the food was, this disease was killing me. And um, so that's the first thing that came to mind for me. And then I was thinking about how many professionals I asked to help me with my problem, uh, whether it be weight loss specialists or uh, therapists, um, uh, a hypnotist, or maybe even more than one hypnotist I went to, and um, nobody was able to help me. I guess I didn't respond to the ordinary psychological approach, obviously, because I go up and down the scale and always higher than the time before with my weight and my craziness with eating. So um, many people go to doctors for their problems with compulsive overeating, whether they be psychologists, or um, medical doctors, and they certainly try to help people, and they usually do it by offering diets or surgery um, or perhaps psychological um, behavior modification methods, etc. But all those methods, as far as I can tell, um, are based on a belief that they can get the patient to moderate the amount of binge foods that they consume. And that makes me think that would be like maybe back then when before AA or early in the program of AA or maybe even today, 
there's practitioners who believe that they can just train a patient to moderate the amount of alcohol that they take in or the kinds of alcohol they take in and that they can uh, have some. But luckily in this program, we learn that because we have an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind, we can't have any of our binge foods, just like these people learned they can't have any alcohol at all. And um, in order to eat the way I eat now, it has to be something more than human power that has uh, transformed me because of my own making. There is no way I could eat the way I eat um, and have the discipline that God is to follow my food plan and to um, abstain from compulsive overeating and ingesting anything that might trigger me to compulsively overeat. And I just am so grateful that this meeting leads us to read the doctor's opinion and learn about the grave nature of our disease and what the solution is and that it isn't a matter of a psychological cure. It's finding a power greater than myself, and that is a miracle, and I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Rebecca F. Who would like to share on these two paragraphs? Jill T. Jill T. Who else? Melissa C. Okay, I heard... Melissa Carol C. G. Carol G. Okay, Carol, thank you. Sue G. Penny C. Sue G. Sue G. and Penny C. Let me tell you who I've got. I've got Jill T., Melissa C., Carol G., um, Sue G., and Penny C. Anybody else? Okay, Jill T., please start us off. Uh, good morning, everybody. Can you hear me? I can. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I'm calling in today um, with a very specific uh, uh, intention in that um, my program is going very, very well, and um, the the um, crises that I'm now facing is that uh, I'm 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 coming. I need to come to believe that a power greater than myself can restore me to sanity. About Three days ago, um, well, actually, last Friday, I went to the, I I went and bought a pair of pants, or two pairs of pants, a size smaller because I needed them for work. I didn't try them on; I just bought them and took them home, and they were too loose. So I really had a um, a fear over the weekend, if you will, um, that uh, of of being thin. And so my crisis is that I have to allow my higher power to choose how. So, so I got scared. I wanted to start eating and slowing down the weight loss because I wanted to be in control because being thin is terrifying for me. And um, I was, I've never, ever been thin except early, early, you know, pre-adolescent years. And I don't know how to live thin. So I want to be in control of the food again, and I want to be in control of how quickly or slowly this weight comes off because I feel vulnerable and I feel very exposed feeling my thin body. 
So then this coming into this morning um, or even last night, uh, I had a dinner party. It was very successful. I was very um, abstinent, and I I went to bed um, wanting to, um, again, to eat and stop the weight loss until I get to be in charge. But I can't. I have to trust my higher power, and I have to trust that a power greater than myself is going to take me through this. Um, I have many positive things going on right now, and if I choose to push away my higher power right now, I believe I will die spiritually. Even if I don't have food on my plate and I push my um, higher power away, I will die spiritually in an area of my life. I cannot pick and choose. Okay, holy, uh, you know, a higher power, you can bless me here, but I want to be in control of this. Or you can bless me here, but nope, you can't bless me here. That That's not how my higher power wants it. He wants all of me. And I have to come to believe that his power is a kind and safe power. And so uh, with that, I'm, I'll leave that. I'm going to be talking to my sponsor about it today because if she can walk me through this moment by moment, step by step, just let the good exist and don't fight it. Don't fight the good. Then. Um, then I believe I can come to believe more and not only believe but trust the power greater than myself. Thank you for listening, and with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Jill T. Melissa C., please go ahead. Hi, good morning. This is Melissa C., a recovered compulsive overeater in New York. And, um, you know, that sincerely despairing um, with everything to live for but not being able to stop. And, um, you know, that um, that's so painful. What a, what a painful and um, horrendous position to be in with, you know, no hope, you know, completely despairing. Honestly, honestly, you know, I really, really wanted to stop, and yet I was hopeless, um, and I could not stop, no matter what I had to live for. And so... You know, I was thinking this morning that this disease um, didn't care what was going on in my life. You know, I I used to love to um, blame external excuses for why I was eating. So, you know, something sad happened, so, yeah, I got to eat. Or something, you know, overly exciting, so everybody's eating, I should be eating. The truth is, is that, you know, this disease didn't care what was going on in my life. It It really wanted all of me. And... So in some of the happiest, best times of my life where there was no godly reason, no man-made reason why I should be eating, I was still continuing to eat. And, and yet, you know, a relationship with my higher power completely removed that desire for me. And so, you know, now when people um, ask me, what are you doing? You know, how did you lose weight? Because that's what people notice and they... They want to talk about the weight loss. Um, you know, my ego has to stay really clear and really right side so that I don't start thinking that um, I'm going to tell them my food plan. My food plan really has nothing to do with my weight loss. It's just, you know, yes, it's the removal of um, the foods that I'm allergic to, but the fact that I've been able to stay away from those things and lost the desire for those things is completely because of my relationship with my higher power. And so, you know, now when people say to me, you know, um, what are you doing? 
I really have to carry the message and I have to out myself. Um, and and I believe that I'm getting this message this morning because that's what my higher power wants me to And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Melissa C. And Carol G., please go ahead. Oh, good morning, Kathy. It's Carol G. Recovered. Thank you so much for the meeting. What a wonderful paragraph this is. Uh, I have cried out so many times in sincere despair. Goodness knows me. Um, this paragraph reminds me uh, that this program is conditional. Um, before I actually recovered and followed the exact, precise directions, I couldn't do this program without conditions. Um, and I needed to do it without conditions because I remember crying thousands of times to doctors, to sponsors, I can't go on with this, I can't go on with this, please help me. And, and the reply would always be, well, okay, Carol, put the food down, work the steps. And I'd say, thank you, thank you. And by the time I left the room, by the time I moved on to the next thing in my day, I'd have, uh, yes, but I've got a job to go to and, and, and I have got a son to look after and, and a car to run and parents to visit. And, and in, in about 30 seconds, I'd have this pile of conditions of why I couldn't put this program first and at the center and at the heart of my life. And it would always end up being like that because for me, what, on my journey, I was seeking relief. I was still seeking ease and comfort. I needed somebody to listen to all the things that I had to say but I wasn't ready to put the footwork in. I thought I was. Um, and I couldn't move beyond those immobilizing feelings and emotions and the drama and the panic because underneath all that drama and panic, I really was sincere and I really was in despair. And, and my feelings and my fear were very, very real. But I had to do what the doctor had to do. I had to turn to myself and be humble and say, you know what, Carol, be honest with yourself. You can't go on like this. You are in despair and you do desire to stop. So follow the instructions. You know, and if anybody else is struggling with following the instructions, allow them to write themselves into your heart every day listening to this vision for you. It's a miracle in our day. Thank you so much and I pass. Thank you, Carol G. And Suji, please go ahead. Thank you. Thank you for your service. Um, this part related so much. It could relate to so much of it and also the shares. Thank you for the shares. You know, I, I knew that um, I came into this program with a higher power and I thought, like others with faith, that I, you know, that um, it was going to be kind of easy, but it, it got harder and harder and harder because I did have conditions. I did have God, you can touch this, you can touch that. I offer my this to you, my that to you. But I thought, oh, the food, you don't, you don't care about the food that much. You've given me wisdom, you've given me nutritional information. And this is going to be a, excuse the phrase, a piece of cake. And um, and it wasn't. And it just got harder and harder until I finally did surrender the food to him. And, um, you know, it's it's still even with my sponsees, when I, when I do sponsors, hard to explain that psychic change, spiritual experience, moral, uh, you know, the the bill meant the same thing by all of them. They're, you know, and and we have to go so far beyond what our, our faith takes us uh, unless we've got a completely surrendered faith. And, and I didn't. Um, I, and I knew the big book forward and back. 
uh, I can quote. I can. I've done studies. I've, I've done Bill and Char- or Joe and Charlie. I mean, I really thought, you know, that I knew it. You know, I, and self knowledge gets us nowhere. But I mean, it's like, I, oh man, I know this program. I can sponsor. I, why is it that I can't release weight? Why is it that I can't stay absent for very long? Um, and it, it's just been such a blessing to um, to be to be going beyond this now, and be totally surrendered, and to do a love and step every morning. I didn't do all the program every day. I thought I was, but no one had ever really gone through doctor's opinion slowly with me. I hadn't gone through 10 and 11 slowly by any sponsor. And um, I just find this chapter, this doctor's opinion, to be to be starting over um, as I'm coming into vision for you and be starting over in the beginning of the book. It's, it's just truly a blessing. And I just wanted to share that. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Suji. And Penny C., please. Hi, Kathy. Thank you. Um, I'm being heard, right? Yes, you are, Penny. Thank you. Thank you. Um, oh, this this paragraph brings up so much for me. I'm talking about the first paragraph. Men have cried out to me in sincere and despairing appeal. Doctor, I can't go on like this. Both personally and sitting in the rooms and listening to others, I have had such such emotional... I, I got emotional listening to this this morning. You know, I remember going to the doctor years ago and and saying, you know, I'm not even hungry and I can't stop eating, and I was looking for help. And the doctor said, I'd hate to see what you'd look like if you got hungry. And, um, you know, and, and that was on my resentment list. Well, the, the miracle of this program is now I look at that doctor in my mind and I say, you know, that must have been very difficult for him because he didn't have a clue as to how to help me. And all he could think to do was was to say something that was sounded sarcastic to me. But more than that, I've sat in the rooms like many of us have and had people come in and cry through a meeting and just plead, please, somebody needs to help me. I can't stop eating and I just can't go on like this. And and I have a family, and I have a career, and and I don't know what's wrong with me. Well, what I feel grateful for these days now with with having studied the big book in depth as I have and been to many, many meetings over many, many years, that we have something to offer these people. We have hope in that previous paragraph that we read yesterday, you know, that... Um, people that had been feeling doomed and were despairing have had a psychic change. And so I can talk to these people who come in such despair and, and ready to give up and say, let me tell you my story. Let me tell you what it was like for me. And let me tell you how, you know, I, I, I was jealous of a young classmate of mine who died leaving three little children. I was jealous that she no longer had to had to live this horrible life. And today I I am just transformed as I said, and it's all been through the steps and I am grateful for every day that God gives me. So, 
You know, we 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 are like the doctors in the rooms and and in the community when when people are are in that that realm of despair. We have this book, we have our experience that we can share with those people if we if we are so inclined to do. And it means cost breaking our anonymity, it means you know, responsibility, and I know that my time is up, so I'm going to pass, and thank you. Thanks, Penny C. I'm sorry I didn't mean to let that go off, but thanks for your share. Um, who else would like to share? Renata. Kim G. Kim G. Renata. Uh, Kim G. Who else? Reva P. Monica. Reva P. And Monica
something supernatural, more than human power, all the human power combined, you know, all that this power couldn't achieve, like the steps could do in just a few short months. And uh, so, you know, I, I would really recommend to everyone on the line, put the food down, work the steps, like your life depends on that. And the psychic change is available for everyone. And I'm excited passing. Thank you, Renata G. Kim G., please go ahead. Good morning, Kathy Kay. My name is Kim G., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. One feels that something more than human power is needed to produce the essential psychic change. You know, we heard a couple paragraphs before, entire psychic change. Now we're hearing it's essential, it's life-giving, it's vital. Do we believe that? You know, am I still worshiping abstinence? Do I still think food and weight is my problem? And if that's my problem, then that is a physical solution of abstinence. You know, the big book, I, you know, if you want today, try to find in the big book where it says don't drink. I've never seen it. What the big book is telling us over and over again is you're going to drink, you're going to drink, you're going to drink, unless you have a spiritual awakening. So do we understand how essential that is? So I'm just going to bring out two parts of the book that I love that tell me that. You know, we often talk about the promises. So I'm going to show you a promise they talk. When, when Fred, in More About Alcoholism, has the best day, and he still picks up, because the, Fred's game plan is my, using his willpower and keeping on guard, which was my game plan in OA. I'm going to get up, I'm going to choose not to eat today, and I'm going to stay on guard by using the fellowship as a line of defense against the food, which, which works. This fellowship is powerful, but it's not powerful enough for my disease. So on page 40, it says, I now remembered what my alcoholic friends had told me, how they prophesied, which is a promise. They prophesied that if I had an alcoholic mind, that time and place would come, I would drink again. They had said that though I did raise a defense, it would one day give way before some trivial reason for having a drink. Well, just that did happen and more. For what I had learned of alcoholism did not occur to me at all. I knew from that moment I had an alcoholic mind. I saw that willpower and self-knowledge will not help in those strange mental blank spots. I had never been able to understand people who said they had a problem, had them hopelessly defeated. I knew then it was a crushing blow. And that's what this doctor's opinion is slamming home. Do we believe we have the allergy to the body? Permanent condition. And more importantly, do we believe we have an obsession of the mind, which is only going to be treated by a spiritual solution? It says over and over again in the book that only a spiritual solution will conquer the mental obsession. If that is my reality, if that is truly who I am, that I'm going to need the essential cycle of change. I'm going to need more than human power. I'm going to need more than the right sponsor, the right food plan, three meetings a day, 14 million phone calls a day. That is, there's power in the fellowship, but the fellowship will support us. What we need is an essential psychic change, and what will change us is this recovery process, which will get us in touch with a power greater than ourselves, which will remove the obsession, and we will not want to eat. What a miracle this program offers us. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim G. Uh, Reva P., please go ahead. Good morning. This is Reva P., Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Uh, For me, what I'm uh, getting out of these two paragraphs is that 
if I have what was just described um, in the previous paragraphs, the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind, um, I have an internal problem. And it doesn't matter what's going on on the outside of my life. Um, and it doesn't matter um, you know, whether things are good or bad. Um, and also, I always look to the outside for the solution, whether it was you know, personally just the weight. If I just get the weight right, everything else in life is fine. I'll just carry on with my life. Um, or asking other people, whether it's outside program or even inside program, please fix me, help me. Um, and this reminds me that the solution is an internal one also. It's going through steps one to nine to remove the blockages and then continuing to build a relationship with a power greater than myself because this book teaches me that lack of power is my problem um, through steps 10 and 12. And the purpose of all those steps is to develop and strengthen a relationship with a power greater than myself who can do for me what I can't do for myself. So it's telling me right here, don't even bother. It doesn't matter what my financial situation is. It doesn't matter my job, my relationships. Um, I hear people, you know, there's no man in my life. It doesn't matter. I am hardwired to binge my brains out and self-destruct no matter what. And if I don't work the steps to develop a relationship with my higher power and draw on that power in all my affairs, I am doomed. The other thing that really struck me is the humility of a doctor who is a specialist. These guys have like the biggest egos. For him to say, I don't know. With all my experience, with all my knowledge, I don't know. That was the breakthrough where he got all these sick alcoholics um, into the right um, treatment solution, which was AA. And for myself, in program and out of program, as a professional and as a fellow OAer, to be able to say, I don't know, um, that maybe you need to go to your higher power and he or she will give you the solution. And to say to myself, I don't know, because my best thinking got me in this situation in the first place, um, and ask uh, for guidance, um, how awesome he was and what a breakthrough it was um, for medicine. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Reva P. And uh, Monica T., Please go ahead. Good morning, Kathy Kay. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica T., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater here in Florida. And here we are in the doctor's opinion. And like was just said, you know, here is Dr. Silkworth writing this to us, a medical doctor. In that first paragraph, men have cried out to me in sincere and despairing, a sense of hopelessness and defeat, appeal, doctor. I cannot go on like this. I have everything to live for. I must stop, but I cannot. You, you must help me. And I was thinking, oh, my God, I remember being here so many times. You know, I would lie, cry, and look you in the eye and whine and carry on um, that, you know, that I was in this spot. So I can really relate to, to this. 
you must help me. You know, I was expecting that miracle cure. Somebody else to do the magic thing, bop me over the head and do the thing for me. And then he goes on and he says, faced with this problem, if a doctor is honest with himself, he must sometimes feel his own inadequacy, you know, his own lack of ability to be helpful. Although he gives all that, he, that is in him, it's often not enough. So here's Dr. Silkworth. And he's feeling some despair here. You know, he worked with over 50,000 alcoholics. And I was told he only had about a 2% success rate. So he must have got kind of despairing along the way, too. He gave all he had. He spent hours and hours and hours seeing the same people come in and out of the revolving door and, and not get it. And so he's thinking, man, you know, we need something more here. And he himself, as a medical doctor, it always amazes me that the information we've needed, that we needed a spiritual experience, that we needed a power higher than ourselves, has come from medical doctors, that something more than human power is needed to produce this change. You know, everything I did did not work. I couldn't do it. No one else could do it for me. I needed a power greater than myself. And he goes on, you know, even though he was able to help some people, you know, how humble he was. He had to admit that he wasn't able to do a whole bunch for these poor people. And he sure tried. But something came along, you know, and, and with his information to Bill, and also this information that a power greater than us is needed to do this, um, what, a, what a wonderful miracle we were given. And thank you, Dr. Silkworth, as a medical doctor, being humble and saying and admitting, you know, I, I can't do this for you. Something more is needed. And for me, I had to be willing. I had to be willing to work this program. So my willingness and God's grace, you know, there's a mystery going on there, leaning into that, working the steps like my life depended on it because it did. You know, I was given this psychic change, this change in my thinking. Thank you, God. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Monica T. And Mary B., uh, you'll be our last share on this paragraph. Thank you. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you for your service. This is Mary B. from Central California, but currently in Southwest Arizona. Doctor, I cannot, um, I want to stop it. I cannot. You must help me. When was I ever honest with a doctor? I could not ever tell a doctor why I was fat. I wanted him to think that, gosh, I don't eat anything, but you better come up with a miracle because my body is just expanding. The only doctors I ever turned to were the ones that offered shots like the HCG shots or pills. And even then, if they asked me to write down what I ate, I would not include the foods that I was binging on. Or I certainly wouldn't put down the quantities that I was eating. And there was a night, you know, I remember reading or hearing a story about a young woman who lost a lot of weight, gained it all back, binged, extreme, had an extreme binge, burst her stomach, her stomach burst and she died. And one night after one of my suicidal binges, 
I was holding my phone in my hand, ready to call 911. I was so afraid that my stomach was going to burst. And yet I walked around the house thinking, what would I tell the paramedics? I would be so embarrassed to tell the paramedics the truth about why I'm in this condition. I I don't think I would have called no matter what. And in recovery, my doctor one day was looking at my chart and coming back and forth to me and saying, what is it you do? He was just so amazed that I had lost weight and had been keeping it off. What is it you do? And he said, I have patients who are going to die and they won't stay on a diet that I give them. And I looked at him. This was, I'm amazed that I even said this. Doctor, if you told me today that I was going to die, I would walk out of here and head right for B's Bakery. And I had offered to talk to his patients. I told him he could give my phone number to anybody. I gave him some short thing about what I was doing, about the program, and I never heard from him or from any of his patients. So, um, you know, when I think about what the program demands of me, to be honest, wow. I, I don't want to run out of time, so let me tell you that this morning I feel like a 130-pound big miracle. The miracle is big. I'm not. Thank you very much for the opportunity to share. Thank you, Mary B., and um, Larry Kay, let's move on to the next two paragraphs. Thanks, Kathy, for your service. Larry Kay, uh, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. I do not hold with those who believe that alcoholism is entirely a problem of mental control. I've had many men who had, for example, worked a period of months on some problem or business deal, which was to be settled on a certain date favorably to them. They took a drink a day or so prior to the date, and then the phenomenon of craving at once became paramount to all other interests so that the important appointment was not met. These men were not drinking to escape. They were drinking to overcome a craving beyond their mental control. There are many situations which arise out of the phenomenon of craving, which cause men to make the supreme sacrifice rather than continue to fight. You know, you, you can't think your way out of this disease. Um, you can't run away from it <laughs> faster than it'll run you down. Um, th- this, there's a craving beyond our mental control. And, you know, the obsession means, of course, that we're restless, irritable, and discontent unless we can experience that sense of ease and comfort by taking a few bites. The, the, see, the problem is, is that we can't be comfortable living in our own skin. We can't be comfortable living in our own skin. The cycle of the physical allergy, the twofold nature, right? We've got the physical allergy giving way to the mental obsession and the mental obsession giving way to the physical allergy and on and on and over and over and over again. And we're trapped. We're trapped like a rat in the corner in a vicious cycle that we can't break. And it's not about, uh, you know, it's not about uh, mental control. It's not about mental control at all. 
page 30 is the direction for the first step. You know, it's we have to fully concede. We have to take the first step. You have to wave the white flag and say, I, I surrender. You know, there, I, I remember when I read this paragraph, it reminds me of how, you know, not feeling comfortable in my own skin. I, I would, uh, you know, when the food would, was my solution, it was my solution. It would bring that ease and comfort. It would numb me out just enough so I could cope, cope with life. And I can remember one time waking up and, uh, you know what the best, uh, you know, work day, best idea I had that day just came to mind like, like the food did. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to Las Vegas. And I, next thing you know, I, within three hours, I was on a plane. This was years ago. It was a little bit easier. I was on a plane from Chicago to Las Vegas. And I wasn't going there to drink alcohol. And I wasn't going there to gamble. I was going there to eat where no one could see me, surrounded by people, but no one could see me. This spiritual soul sickness was never about food. Food was my solution. And I made, you know, lots of, you know, I would do anything. I would chase after anything to control this thing. It took a spiritual awakening to extricate me from this spiritual disease. And, you know, that's, that's what it takes for us. If you, if, you, if, you, if you go back out, you're searching for more power. You've not conceded that you, that you, you know, that you are powerless. You have no shot of your own accord. That's, my, that's not my uh, theory. That's right here in the big book, and it's my experience. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry. Who would like to share on these paragraphs? Alice M. Leah. Okay, Alice M. Leah M. Who else? Okay, we'll start with the two of you. Go ahead, Alice. Oh, Sarah, I got you. Okay, go ahead, Alice. Thank you, Kathy. This is Alice M., a recovering compulsive overeater and bulimic from Florida. And I have an experience um, similar to this man's here. Um, I don't know why, but 18 months later, I'm finally starting to identify in here. I'm a slow learner. You know, and uh, with the mental control and with, you know, why would a person do that? It just does not make sense. And um, many years ago, I uh, finally had landed a teaching position at a school that I considered my dream school. I absolutely loved the principal. Um, had a, she was dynamic. So many teachers were clamoring to get into this school. And when she hired me, I felt like I had won the lottery. Um, and she was excited to get me as a teacher. You know, I was a hardworking, dedicated teacher. I was dynamic myself. You know, I had a pretty shining reputation. I was doing well around my eating disorder at that time, obviously. Um, and this principal could have hired anyone, anyone, and she chose me. And, man, I was going to deliver on the goods. And I remember telling her she wouldn't be sorry. You know, and my intent was to be an asset at that school. That was my intent. I really wanted her to be happy with this decision she had of hiring me. And I was on top of my game at that time with teaching. But on Halloween night, that October, about a month, a couple months into school, I relapsed on my trick-or-treating candy that I was giving out of the house. And my life unraveled. You know, my disease progressed so insanely. Uh, my teaching suffered during that month. And so did my students, and I was keeping it all a secret behind closed doors. I could not function in the classroom anymore, and eventually I got so deep into my binging and vomiting and anorexia that I couldn't even think straight. I couldn't, I 
I could not think straight. I was in a fog. Um, and I knew, I knew I was in serious trouble. And by Christmas Eve, I had made an attempt on my life. Um, I had to resign from that teaching position, that dream job, and began a string of treatments, um, never to return to teaching again. And I, you know, it's, did I want that to happen? There I was on top of the world, like this other person was in, you know, in the story we read here. And, you know, had nothing to do with mental control. I had a disease. I was powerless. And um, that is a big sacrifice in my life, my teaching career, that I gave up for this disease, never never um, able to return successfully at that. And I just wanted to share that. I identified them with that. I pass. Thank you, Alice M. And Leah M., please go ahead. Thanks so much, Kathy Kay. You know, this paragraph, uh, you know, certainly illustrates the twofold nature of the illness. You know, they took a drink a day or so prior to the date, and then the phenomenon of craving at once become, became paramount to all other interests. Said the important appointment was not met. You know, this actually comes from our AA history. Uh, this is, you know, Bill Wilson. Bill Wilson was... Uh, you know, involved in a business deal. He had an opportunity. It was going to be to his great, great benefit. Um, you know, they were sitting around, he and other uh, men who were uh, part of this business deal, and, you know, they were passing around a bottle. Bill was sober at the time. Oh, no thanks. No thanks. I'm not drinking anymore. No thank you. No thank you. P- comes The bottle comes around again. Uh, and, you know, he decides to take a drink, you know, and of course the drink took him uh, because it triggered that phenomenon of craving. Now, this was on a great day for Bill. Bill had a great opportunity, which illustrates to me that, you know, the obsession of the mind really doesn't have to be a bad day. You know, it doesn't have to be that things are going downhill for Leah. Um, It could be the best day. It could be a promotion. It could be a celebrating day. It could be something fantastic, a top-of-the-mountain day. Uh, And the obsession of the mind will force out any thoughts to the contrary and convince me that taking that first bite is the best idea I've had in a long, long, long time. Um, And, of course, it reinforces the point about the phenomenon of craving, that I am biologically mandated, just like Bill Wilson was biologically mandated, that once he took that drink of alcohol, it was like throwing a match into a bucket of gasoline. Whoosh! Once he put that alcohol into his body, it reacted in a way that demanded more alcohol. It was Dr. Silkworth that called that the phenomenon of craving. And that's true for me. There are certain substances, food substances, that when I put it in my body, my very cells demand to be satisfied beyond my ability to control it. So instead of satisfying me, those food substances create an overwhelming hunger, and I'm compelled to eat and eat and eat and eat and eat and eat and eat eat beyond rational consumption. And that, that is the truth about me. I have the allergy of the body. Certain substances in my body put on a switch and it equates to a phenomenon of craving. And I have the obsession of the mind, which is 
even though I have knowledge, even though I have an utter wish, even though I have desire uh, not to pick up that first bite, I have an obsession of the mind that will convince me that picking up that first bite is the best idea that I've had in a long time. And with that, I pass. Thanks so much. Thanks, Leah H. Um, uh, Leah M., sorry. Uh, Sarah W., we are at 7.55. Are you able to stay for the second meeting? If not, you could take a short share now. That's perfectly fine, Kathy. Thanks so much for your service. Thanks. Thank you. Please stay around. Um, Thanks, everyone, who has shared. Uh, Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And I will ask Julie R. to read um, a vision for you. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Hi, this is Julie R., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in California. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.